Well, friends, let me pray before I preach. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are doing an amazing work in our hearts to the point where it's physical. We can see you at work amongst us. Your Holy Spirit is transforming lives. You're growing us, Lord, not only in number, but in spiritual vitality. And Lord, as we reflect upon this theme of watchfulness, this Advent, we do pray that we begin to understand why this practice refines all other spiritual disciplines. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, friends, disciplines shape us into who we become. I remember at the end of 2011, I had no idea what I wanted to do with life. I had no direction. I lived on the mid-north coast and I was that kid with long hair, would go to the beach every day and swim with my bodyboard. I had no idea what to do until something changed. The pastor of the church tapped me on the shoulder and said, Jesse, why don't you consider doing a gap year program called Year 13? which is a Christian gap year dedicated to um, studying the scriptures, going overseas on mission. Without much thought, I said, I'll give it a go. A month later, I found myself staying in a share house on the riverbanks of the Sutherland Shire with a dozen dozen other students and some lecturers. From day one, my life was flipped upside down. We were asked to practice a bunch of spiritual disciplines as a part of our daily routine. This included chapel worship in the morning, journaling sorry, at night, scripture reading, prayer, the basics of the Christian life. These disciplines gave me a desperately needed structure for flourishing. But that was not the main benefit from this change of life. The hymns, the hymns of praise in the morning gave us a heavenly vision. The prayers of confession revealed our depravity. The journals gave us a forum to reflect upon our spiritual journey so far. The scripture reading increased our hunger for the things of God. The disciplines that we applied down south began to, I would say, renovate us, renovate our hearts, our affections our entire lives. These disciplines of grace were shaping us into brand new people. One could say, and my mum would have said it, Jesse is changing. Jesse is changing. While these disciplines were potent to change me in my late teens, in this Advent season, we're going to explore another one. Watchfulness. And it is in fact a foundational discipline in ages past, which has actually been lost over time. And in in those ages past, it was actually on par with things like prayer and Bible reading. Hedges says this, Watchfulness is the whetstone of the spiritual disciplines, the one practice that keeps the other habits Sharp. What does he mean by a whetstone? Well, that's a stone that sharpens tools. And so watchfulness is a spiritual discipline that makes all other spiritual disciplines sharp. Indeed, if I also received the spiritual discipline of watchfulness at year 13, 
the renovation of my soul would, I reckon, have doubled over. All my other habits would have been sharpened. Let me illustrate this with the words of Jesus. He said, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. He doesn't just say, pray, pray, pray. He says, watch and pray. Prayer and watchfulness actually go together. Watch and pray. These are two words that are rarely seen together, but watchfulness enhances our prayer life. It gives us a deeper awareness of the spiritual dimensions around us that are for our faith and also conspire against it. Let me explain with a story. Imagine that a young devil visited the home of, let's call her Joanne. After inspecting the inner contents of her house, as devils do, he studies her prayer life. He notices that at 7 a.m. each morning she rises, makes a coffee, and sits on her prayer couch. As he listens to Joanne's prayers, the devil, the young little devil, notices a desire in her prayers. A desire for a flexible online corporate job at home. He also observes that she would do anything for a new career. Months later, the day comes. Joanne gets offered an administration job that requires her to work between 8 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday to Friday. Most days, however, the boss asks her to join an optional corporate meeting at 7 a.m. At this moment... The young devil strikes. He whispers in her ear, don't upset your boss, Joanne. You then sacrifice your prayer life to please your employer. That's what Joanne does. Friends, if Joanne practiced the discipline of watchfulness, her prayer life would have been guarded at all costs. If she was mature in watchfulness, she would have known her own weaknesses, which was a desire, a desperate desire for a flexible job. She would have realized that her temptation would be to compromise her daily time with God. She would have been attuned to the spiritual dimensions of the world if she was practicing watchfulness. And so Jesus says then, watch and what? Pray. They go together. Watch and pray. And so by practicing watchfulness, Joanne would have been attuned to proclaim hymns such as these. Principalities and powers, mustering their unseen array, wait for thy unguarded hours. Watch and pray. Gird thy heavenly armor on, wear it ever night and day. Ambushed lies the evil one. Watch and pray. And so friends, let me say it again. Watchfulness is the whetstone that sharpens all other spiritual disciplines. And so if you want to get good at Bible reading, watchfulness. If you want to get good at prayer and draw closer to God each day, watchfulness. If you want to be more rock solid in your worship of God each Lord's Day, 
watchfulness. All these things give you eyes to see how the devil conspires against us. How the spiritual one wants to take us down. And believe it or not, he first takes down our rhythms and practices. For this reason alone, it is vital to, I believe, retrieve this lost discipline of grace. If we desire to be spiritually awake in a world that is flooded with devils and angels, things of light and darkness, watchfulness is key. If we long to be seers of wisdom, prophets of truth who speak into our lost culture, ministers of love, radical love, watchfulness is key. The lost discipline of watchfulness is the habit we need to make us keenly awake and aware of things that are in our world that might be behind the scenes that you don't always realize, things that are for us and against us. And so to retrieve the lost discipline of watchfulness, it's vital for us to now actually, I think it will be helpful for us to define what that is. What is watchfulness exactly? Well, since the 16th century English Puritans, um, we find a wealth of wisdom in their treaties, sermons and journals about this discipline. And I'm drawn to the definition of a man called Thomas Boston. Can everyone say that? Thomas Boston. He shows that watchfulness is a actual a military term. It's military termed. Christians are called to be like sentry guards on a tower who stand at their post at night watching out. Like these guards, a few things are required. We need to be spiritually awake in the headspace to see and aware of all our advantages and hazards that lie before us. We're called to be sentry guards. In other words, watchfulness is made up of three key parts. Three key parts. Firstly, it requires wakefulness, which means to be spiritually awake. The wakeful person understands that the world is a place full of darkness and light, conflict and goodness. And so this requires us to be aware and awake of the spiritual warfare that's at work in our world. And many Christians live without much thought of that. But we need to be wakeful. Secondly, watchfulness requires vigilance, which means to be outwardly guarded. The vigilant person is prepared to see the forces of goodness and evil at work around them. They're actually prepared for the attacks that are coming our way. They're on the sentry tower looking out. I saw some ruffling in those trees. But we do that in our everyday lives. We are hyper vigilant to the things around us that conspire against our faith. Things in the world, the flesh and the devil. And thirdly, watchfulness requires attentiveness, which means to be inwardly alert. The attentive person is aware of the influence of the light and darkness on their lives. They're good at self-awareness, if you want to use a psychological term. They're able to analyze, why do I feel that way? Why did that thought come to my mind? They're self-aware. They're attentive inwardly. And so, all in all, watchfulness can be defined as this. 
the state of being spiritually awake, outwardly vigilant, and inwardly attentive. But there's one more thing I'd like to look at today. I'd like to add another thing in there. We are in this season called Advent, aren't we? And you might be asking, why are we looking at watchfulness in Advent? Well, there's another key feature here. Watchfulness is also end-time expectancy. And so Advent is very connected to watchfulness. The word Advent literally means the arrival of a notable person or thing. Other words for Advent include appearance, arrival, emergence, surfacing. Advent is thus a watchful time, a time of wakeful, vigilant, attentive expectation. Expectation requires watchfulness. Watchfulness is also expectancy. But what are we expecting? What are we watching out for? What is coming? The answer... Jesus, yeah. Jesus is coming. And so we're wakeful, we're vigilant, we're attentive, but we're also expectant, waiting for someone to come. And his name is Jesus. As the prophets of old awaited the coming of the Messiah, the first time, first time, we too are waiting for a Messiah. At Christmas, we do not only give thanks for the arrival of Jesus, but we look forward to the second coming of our Messiah, Jesus. This second advent is none other than the return of Jesus at the end of the age. Christmas reminds us to be wakeful, vigilant and attentive, watching out for the future advent of Christ, Our watchfulness in Advent also takes on the form of expectancy. And so I need to stress that point today. Thus, to illustrate Advent watchfulness, let me go back to our sentry guard image for a moment. Imagine that you are a sentry guard, watching out for the presence of barbarians in the distance. It is the middle of a frosty night, and you're cold, miserable, longing to be warm. You're that person right now. You're shivering. You're desperate for fire. What are you waiting for in that moment? You're groaning to see the breaking of the dawn. As a sentry guard up in that tower, it is not a comfortable thing at all. You are longing for that dawn. You desire to see the sunrise upon the frost, clearing the horizon. And this is the picture of our own watchfulness. We too are called to be watchtower sentries, Not only looking out for the attacks of the evil one now, but looking forward beyond that even to the second advent of Jesus Christ. This watchful expectation is actually captured in the psalm that was read out. I want to read these two verses. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. So he's putting his hope into something that has yet to be fulfilled. He's longing. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. And if he didn't get that, what does he say again? More than the watchmen wait for the morning. More than that person on the sentry tower freezing to death. Even more than that. 
the psalmist is waiting. The ancient watchman was called to endure through the greatest discomforts, darkness, coolness, terror of the night as they waited for the day to break. Yet we see profound truth here. The psalmist waits more than that. He then repeats this line to emphasize the sheer depth of his waiting. How profound. The psalmist waits for the Lord more intensely than a groaning watchman. And this is not a call that is exclusive to the psalmist. Throughout the New Testament, the call to be people who practice Advent, watchfulness, is all over the place. Let me read some scriptures. Luke 21, 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Revelation 16, 15. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The apostles, alongside Jesus Christ himself, expect us all to practice this expectant advent watchfulness. These are all, be watchful, because who's returning? Jesus. And you don't want to be found in, what, a state of shame. We're called to be watchful, and the reason is plain. If we are people on a pilgrimage to the new creation, watchfulness is the spiritual binoculars. We need to travel through the terrains of our broken world. In this gloomy environment in which we live right now, we need a discipline that will make us the most hopeful people in the world. In a world so hurt by sin, we need a practice that will keep us in a constant state of readiness, keeping our vision fixed upon Jesus Christ. And so, you might be asking at this stage, thank you, Jesse. I can probably see my need now to watch and pray, for example, with Jesus. But how? How do I practice this? Let's look back at 1 Peter 4, 7 for a moment. The expectant believer must practice what I'm calling an Advent mindset when he prays. And this has three key features. And I want to share about these three key features with you right now. First, we pray with an Advent mindset when we focus on the end of all things when we pray. always got our minds fixed on the reality that even when I'm praying, Jesus could return mid-prayer. This could be my last prayer. And when you think like that, it actually changes how you pray. You might throw in a more, oh Lord's in your prayer. There might be a little bit more desperation, passion, zeal to your prayer. Come Lord Jesus, Come. You might say that more than ever.
when you say, give us today our daily bread, you might be thinking in that moment, this could be my last meal. Because you're praying with an advent, advent mindset. We will then eat that meal like it is our last, giving thanks to God for fueling our bodies for this day. And that's just an example. And so here's a practice to take away. Advent practice one, urgent prayer. Pray like every prayer is your last, for Jesus could return at any moment. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So that's the first practice for today. Second, we maintain an Advent mindset when we are self-controlled in prayer. Remember 1 Peter, pray in a way that is self-controlled. And this word self-controlled literally means to have sound judgment, to be sensible. The KJV says to be serious when you pray. I actually think that's the best translation. The idea is that our prayers must be done with a serious careful, controlled mindset. They are not meant to be entertaining prayers or chaotic or unstructured. They're meant to be intentional. Our approach to prayer matters to the God who's the God of order. And if we're to have an Advent mindset, we need to be solemn, intentional, ordered, self-controlled when we pray, I think. This is the heart of a self-controlled prayer to be in the right headspace even. And so here's another practice to consider. And this is the way in which I personally remain self-controlled in prayer, is actually pray at certain times of the day following a helpful and orderly rhythm. For example, at 7 a.m., I might get up and do a devotional and I might just pray in that moment at 7 a.m. in order to have that self-controlled, orderly rhythm of prayer. And then at 12 o'clock, I might pray again. Um, And then before sleep, or around the dinner with my kids. These are just, that's an orderly rhythm for the day where I at least pray four times and it gets me into that headspace of, yeah, praying, come Lord Jesus, and being in the right mind. It's helping me guard, be watchful of my spiritual disciplines. And so I recommend that practice of having a rhythm in your day where you stop and pray and that will help you to be self-controlled. And third, We preserve an Advent mindset when we are sober-minded in prayer. To be sober-minded literally means to not be drunk. It also means to be able to control our thought processes and to not be in danger of irrational thinking. And that's why it's often translated as be sober, to be able to guard your mind. If you've lost control of your mind for some reason, if that be through substance abuse, then we need to remember what Peter says. He wants us to overcome that. He wants us to be able to think clearly when we pray. Yeah. To be in the right headspace. For if Jesus returns tomorrow, it will be sad if he finds us completely intoxicated by the things of our world. And I'm not just talking about drunkenness. Anything that takes our mind away from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Advent Mindset 3, sober prayer. Ensure that your prayers are protected from things that may weaken the mind and the flesh. And so friends, let me conclude. How can we practice an Advent Mindset when we pray? Well, we need to have an end view of prayer, an end time view. We also need to be self-controlled 
and sober-minded in prayer. If we have these three elements of expectancy when we pray, end-time view, self-controlled, sober-minded prayer, be assured you will always be prepared for the return of Christ. And I think if you do that, you will not be found in a state of shame. You will hear that thief breaking into your house at night when you pray like this. And you'll be much more alert to the spiritual dimensions of our world around you. And I think all these things are critical to your discipleship. And so, friends, pray with expectancy. Amen.